are listening to the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year, I'm reading and reflecting on Maria Vagrida's four-volume, over 2,500 pages of mystical revelations in the Mystical City of God. Today is day 29. And if you would like to discuss the Mystical City of God, you can join the Facebook group, Mystical City of God in a Year podcast, and there share your own thoughts and interact with others' posts. Today, we begin reading chapter 16. We're beginning at paragraph 225, and we'll read through 234. Chapter 16 of the Habits of Virtue with which God gifted the soul of the Most Holy Mary, and of her first exercises of these virtues in the womb of her mother Anne. She herself gives me instructions for imitating her. The impetuous floods of the divinity met in all this holy city of the sanctified soul of Mary. It took its origin from the foundation of his wisdom and goodness, by which and whence he had resolved to deposit within this heavenly lady the greatest graces and virtues ever to be given to any other creature for all eternity. And when the hour had arrived for giving them into her possession, namely the very moment of her coming into natural life, the Almighty fulfilled, according to his pleasure and full satisfaction, the desire which he had held suspended from all eternity, until the time for gratifying this wish should arrive. The most faithful Lord executed his design, showering down all his graces and gifts in the most holy soul of Mary at the time of her conception, in such an overpowering measure as no other saint, nor all of them combined, can ever reach, nor ever human tongue can manifest. Although she was adorned as the bride, descending from heaven, endowed with all perfections, and with the whole range of infused virtues, it was not necessary that she should exercise all of them at once, it being sufficient that she exercise those which were befitting her state in the womb of her mother. Among the first thus exercised were the three theological virtues, faith, hope, and charity, which relate immediately to God. These she at once practiced in the most exalted manner, recognizing by most sublime faith the divinity with all its perfections and its infinite attributes, and the trinity with its distinction of persons. This knowledge by faith was not impeded by the higher knowledge which God gave her, as I will soon demonstrate. She exercised also the virtue of hope, seeing in God the object of her happiness and her ultimate end. Toward this, her sanctified soul at once hastened and aspired with the most intense desires of uniting herself with God and without having for one moment turned to any other object or tarried one moment in her upward flight. At the same instant also, she put into action the virtue of charity, seeing in God the infinite and highest good and conceiving such an intense appreciation of the divinity that not all the seraphim could ever reach such an eminent degree of fervor and virtue. The other virtues which adorn and perfect the rational part of the creature she possessed in a proportion corresponding to the theological virtues. The moral and natural virtues were hers in a miraculous and supernatural measure, and in a still more exalted manner was she possessed of the gifts and the fruits of the Holy Ghost in, in the order of grace. She had an infused knowledge and habit of all these virtues and of all the natural arts, so that she knew and was conversant with the whole natural and supernatural order of things in accordance with the grandeur of God. Hence, from her first instant in the womb of her mother, she was wiser, 
more prudent, more enlightened, and more capable of comprehending God and all his works than all the creatures have been or ever will be in eternity, excepting, of course, her most holy Son. And all this perfection consisted not only in the habits which were infused in her in such a high degree, but in the acts which she exercised and corresponds with the excellence of her state and in proportion to the activity of the divine power. Therefore, her perfection was not circumscribed by any other bounds, nor was subject to any other limits than God's divine and most just pleasure. Since much will be said in the course of this history of all these virtues and graces and of their exercise, I mention only here a little of that which she achieved at the instant of her conception, by the help of the infused habits and the actual light bestowed upon her, in the exercise of the theological virtues, as I have said, and of the virtue of religion, and of the carnal virtues consequent upon it, she perceived God, as he is, and as the creator and glorifier, in heroic acts. She reverenced him, praised him, gave him thanks for having created her, loved him, feared him, and adored him, offering sacrifices of worship, praise, and glory because of his immutable being. She recognized the gifts which she had received, although some of them were yet hidden to her, and she gave thanks with profound humility and prostrated herself immediately in the womb of her mother, though yet in a body so small, and by these acts she merited more than all the saints in the highest state of perfection and sanctity. In addition to the facts of faith, she possessed other knowledge of the mystery of the divinity and of the Most Holy Trinity. Although in this instant of her conception she did not see him intuitively as the saints, yet she saw him in abstraction by a light and vision, which, though inferior to the beatific vision, were nevertheless superior to all the other virtues in which God can manifest himself or does manifest himself to the created intelligence. For there were shown to her images of the divinity so clear and manifest that she understood the immutable being of God, and in him all creation with a greater light and clearness than any creature ever is understood by another. And these images were like a shining mirror from which was resplendent the whole divinity, and in it all creatures, so that in God she saw and recognized by means of this light and by means of these images of the divine nature all things with a greater distinctness and clearness than was possible by the images of the infused science already vouchsafed her. In all these different ways was laid open to her, from the very instant of her conception, the vision of all men and angels in their hierarchies, dignities, and operations, and of all the irrational creatures with their natures and conditions. She saw the fall of the angels and their ruin, the justification and glory of the good ones, and the rejection and punishment of the bad ones, the first state of Adam and Eve and their innocence, their deception, their guilt, and the misery in which the first parents were thrown on account of it, and in what misfortune the whole human race was cast through them, the divine resolve to repair it, the preordaining and the disposing of the world, the nature of the heavens and the stars and planets, the condition and the arrangement of the elements. She saw purgatory, limbo, and hell, she saw how all these things and whatever is contained in them were created by the divine power and were maintained and preserved by the infinite goodness without having need of any of them. Above all, she was informed of the Most High Sacraments, connected with the Incarnation, 
by which God was to become man in order to redeem the whole human race, while the fallen angels were left without a remedy. In correspondence with this wonderful knowledge of her most holy soul, at the instant of its union with the body, Mary exerted herself by listening heroic acts of virtue, of incomparable admiration, praise, glorification, adoration, humility, love of God, and sorrow for the sins committed against him, whom she recognized as the author and end of these admirable works. She hastened to offer herself as an acceptable sacrifice to the Most High, beginning from that instant with fervent desire to bless him, love him, and honor him, because she perceived that the bad angels and men failed to know and love him. She requested the holy angels, whose queen she already was, to help her to glorify the Creator and Lord of all, and to pray also for her. The Lord in this instant showed her also her guardian angels, whom she recognized and accepted with joyful submission, inviting them to sing canticles of praise to the Most High alternatively with her. She announced to them beforehand that this was to be the service which they were to render her during the whole time of her mortal life, in which they were to act as her assistants and guards. She was informed, moreover, of her whole genealogy and the genealogy of all the rest of the holy people chosen by God, the patriarchs and prophets, and how admirable his majesty was in the gifts, graces, and favors wrought in them. It is worthy of admiration that, although the exterior faculties of her body at the creation of her most holy soul were hardly large enough to be distinguished, nevertheless, in order that none of the miraculous excellence with which God could endow his mother might be wanting, he ordained by the power of his right hand that in the perceiving the fall of man, she shed tears of sorrow in the womb of her mother at the gravity of the offense against the highest good. In this wonderful sorrow at the instant of her coming into existence, she began to seek a remedy for mankind and commenced the work of mediation, intercession, and reparation. She offered to God the clamors of her ancestors and of the just of the earth, that his mercy might not delay the salvation of mortals, whom she even then looked upon as her brethren. Before she ever conversed with them, she loved them with the most ardent charity, and with the very beginning of her existence she assumed the offices of the benefactress of men, and exercised the divine and fraternal love enkindled in their heart. These petitions the Most High accepted with greater pleasure than the prayers of all the saints and angels, and this pleasure of God was also made known to her, who was created to be the mother of God. She perceived the love of God and his desire to descend from heaven in order to redeem men, though she knew not how it should be consummated. It was befitting that God should feel himself impelled to hasten his coming on account of the prayers and petitions of this creature, since it was principally for the love of her that he came, and since in her body he was to assume human flesh, accomplish the most admirable of all his works, and fulfill the end of all other creatures. She also prayed at the moment of her conception for her natural parents, Jochum and Anne, whom she knew and God before. She had seen them in the body. Immediately she exercised the virtues of love and reverence and gratitude of a daughter, acknowledging them as the secondary causes of her natural being. She made many other petitions in general and for particular objects. By aid of the infused science given to her, she began to compose songs of gratitude in her mind and heart for having at the portal of life from the precious drachm, which we all have lost in our first beginning, Luke 15.9. She found the grace which issued forth to meet her, Ecclesiastes 15.2. 
She found the divinity which met her at the threshold of her existence. Wisdom, 615. Her faculties of body and soul found at the instant of her creation the most noble object which attracted and entranced them, for they were created solely for it, and as they were to be hers entirely, it was proper also that the first fruits of their activity, which were the knowledge and love of God, should be devoted to that object. In this queen there is no existence without knowledge of God, no knowledge without love, and no love without its merit. Nor was there in her anything smaller measured merely by the common laws or by the general rules. Great was she, altogether, and great did she come forth from the hands of the Most High, in order to proceed and arrive at such an excellence of being, that God alone would be greater. Oh, how beautiful were those steps of thine, daughter of the king, since with thy first one thou didn't reach the Godhead. Canticle seven one. Twice beautiful wert thou for thy grace and beauty. Canticle four one. Heavenly are thine eyes, Canticle seven five, and thy thoughts are like the kingly carmine, since thou hast enraptured his heart and hast made him prisoner by a thread of thy hair, Canticle four nine, and drawn him captured by the love of thy virginal womb and heart. This concludes our reading today for day twenty nine. We've been reading from chapter sixteen of Book One, Volume One, paragraphs two twenty five through two thirty four. Tomorrow we'll pick up at two thirty five. There's a lot that one could say about this reading that we just heard. It quite beautifully captures the beautiful soul of the Blessed Mother, even from that very moment of her conception. And why is her soul beautiful at the moment of her conception? It's because of the Immaculate Conception, that already she has received great graces and virtues, that God was showering all these gifts down upon her. And we can think of Mary, especially in these virtues of faith, hope, and charity that were mentioned, the theological virtues. And isn't it interesting that at the beginning of the rosary, we pray those first three Hail Marys for the virtues of faith, hope, and charity. And for Mary, she had great faith in God throughout her life. She had this faith in who Jesus was as it was revealed to her by the angel. She came to know Jesus more and more, which deepened her faith in him. But then on abundant display at the wedding feast at Cana, she had this faith that Jesus would do something about the shortage of wine. And at the foot of the cross, Mary's faith could have wavered, but it didn't. It remained. She continued to believe that even if Jesus died, that what he said, that he would rise from the dead, that that would surely take place. She believed everything that Jesus told her. And then we have hope. Well, she has great hope. Hope in our conversion. Hope in the gospel message of Jesus. Hope in everything that Jesus promises. And then love. She loved her parents. She loved her God. She loved her son. She loved St. Joseph. And she loves all of us. And so love Faith, hope, and love, and of these things, love remains. And we know this, that the theological virtues, faith, hope, and love, love remains because in heaven, when we see God face to face, our faith will be fulfilled. Our hope in eternal life, when we see God face to face, will be fulfilled. So what's left then is for us to love God for the rest of eternity. When we gaze upon his face, that we continue to love him without end. 
And so Mary practices and she gives example of these virtues of faith, hope, and love. We can see how she practiced love in her own life, her love for her cousin Elizabeth, for example, going there and helping her. It's all something that Mary possesses and that she manifested in her life. I thought it was cute, in a sense, that Maria Vagrida says, Since much will be said in the course of this history of all these virtues and graces, I mention here only a little of that which she achieved at the instant of her conception. So know that we're going to continue to sing the praises of Mary as we read through the mystical revelations of Maria of Agreda. That we're going to continue to see how she personifies virtue, how she lives and manifests it. And that's going to encourage us in virtuous living as well. In this wonderful sorrow at the instant of her coming into existence, she began to seek a remedy for mankind and commence the work of mediation, intercession, and reparation. Well, Mary already has this great awareness of the sorrow of the world, the need for a savior. And so as a child, she's going to already anticipate the coming of the savior of the world. And then finally we heard, by aid of the infused science given to her, she began to compose songs of gratitude in her mind and heart for having at the port of life found the precious drachm, which we all have lost in our first beginning. And I couldn't help but think as I read that line, while Mary does compose these songs of gratitude, she's going to learn that song of Hannah and she's going to make that song her own as she says, my soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Maybe something you might want to sit with today. What was the prayer life of Mary like? How did she praise God in her daily life? How did she pray? As we think about the prayer of Mary, well then, may it help our prayer too. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year, I'm reading The Mystical City of God. And I'm so honored that you've joined me today. And I hope that you'll come back tomorrow. Until then, may God bless you and Mary pray for you.